All right, let's get this party rolling. For this week, we're going to be exploring the role gratitude and optimism play when it comes to our overall wellness and happiness. And this topic is one that I'm really pretty passionate about. Uh, In my own life, I strive to be someone that adds positive value to those around me. And it's opened up a lot of doors and created a lot of meaningful interactions and relationships. But also, I've kind of had to learn that sometimes our efforts to be optimistic or to make the best of a frustrating situation sometimes can invalidate the experiences of others and in some ways be a way to invalidate our own feelings. So off the bat, before we dive into all the positives, it's important just to identify that it is a little bit more nuanced than just, oh, being optimistic is good, which it is, but also we just got to hold it in proper sort of perspective. And we'll, we'll dive into each of sort of the facets of it in just a minute. And to help set the stage for today's episode, I want to introduce you to my grandfather, Thomas Wesley Spencer. My grandpa Wes, he was born in 1925, and I grew up on the same street as, as he did. In fact, you know, the Spencer family, we grew up on the same street. Uh, there was multiple generations, you know, four or five generations of Spencers living on this one street, sort of living on the family farm. And grandpa primarily did cows. Uh, beef cattle lull. You know, I was growing up, so just a lot of sort of that, you know, law of the harvest, you know, by the sweat of your brow sort of mentality instilled in me from a young age. And one of the things that I would hear my grandpa say the most is he would say, every day is a good day. And when you're kind of growing up, like, okay, <laughs> grandpa, that's that's nice. But since he's passed in 2014, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on my heritage from him and that sentiment that every day is a good day. And that notion is particularly interesting when you consider where my grandpa came from. We're talking really, really poor Depression-era farming, where there was no silver spoon for him, and every day was really filled with a lot of hard work and not necessarily a lot of reward. And, in fact, when my grandpa first married my grandmother... My grandpa apparently would cry himself to sleep because he was hungry and felt bad about not being able to provide more food for his new bride. So it kind of creates this interesting paradox where on one hand you have this person that's saying every day is a good day who also is crying themselves to sleep because they're hungry. And when I sort of reflect on my childhood and my relationship with my grandfather, one of the key features is he would sing while he's on his tractor, right? So he'd be in the back fields, and you could hear him just a hollering and a singing and a whistling while he's working his fields. So I can trace sort of like my optimistic heritage back to my grandpa in a lot of ways. And there's been other sort of experiences that have been influential. But let's really explore what does it mean to be grateful and optimistic, and how does that impact your overall wellness and happiness? There's actually been a wealth of research on the benefits of gratitude. For example, the Mayo Clinic indicates that gratitude is associated with improving the quality of people's sleep, their mood, and even their immune functioning. Additionally, gratitude has been linked to lower levels of depression and anxiety, and even a lower risk of disease and the impacts of chronic pain. And in, in one of their publications, they state, if a pill could do this, everyone would be taking it. And further state, your brain is designed to problem solve rather than appreciate. And so that we kind of have to override our brain to begin reaping the benefits of gratitude. 
Okay, so so we know that, that gratitude is helpful, but what is it? And one definition within the scientific community comes from Emmons in a 2010 publication and identifies that there's sort of two core components of gratitude. First, it's an affirmation of goodness. Second, it's to identify that sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. And when I start framing gratitude that way, it, it makes me have all sorts of thoughts. I love the idea and the notion that gratitude isn't just an acknowledgement that there's positive things in the universe, but also to recognize that there's goodness that extends outside of myself, right? Sometimes we might have an approach where we view resources with scarcity, but anecdotally, when I practice the most gratitude, I tend to have a greater mentality of abundance, that I see opportunities, I see options and resources. And that's largely to the fact that gratitude has a way of helping me prioritize and put things in perspective. And so when I start feeling that sense of scarcity, gratitude is a fantastic vehicle to take me to more of a mindset of abundance. And as a researcher and a therapist, I love any sort of research that focuses on the state of being or how do we become, how do we grow. And Krauss and Hayward in 2015 identified that gratitude is one of the three key sort of religious virtues, right? So when you examine, you know, sort of all the worldwide religions, that the three primary virtues are gratitude, humility, and compassion. And that's, that's like delicious to me because when I start thinking about the most meaningful experiences in my life, humility, compassion, and gratitude have almost always associated those experiences. So it makes me wonder, like, how do we start generating more of that in our lives? How do I practice greater gratitude? And I love the way Emmons and McCollum, their 2014 publication, summarize this idea. They state, however, despite gratitude's acknowledged importance in the religious, philosophical, and scientific realm, gratitude remains as one of the most neglected and underestimated virtues, and among the most underutilized attitudes to the point where it's ignored altogether. So one of my burning questions then is, well, what actually happens when we practice gratitude? Right, and in the field of neuropsychology, there's a growing body of research that is, is really kind of compelling about sort of gratitude and its influence on the brain. And researchers have identified gratitude does four main things for the brain. First, it wires and fires new neural connections to the bliss center or the pleasure reward pathway in the brain. Second, you have enhanced enhancement of dopamine and serotonin. Basically, these are the neurotransmitters that are responsible for mood and in turn happiness. The third component, gratitude helps reduce fear and anxiety by regulating stress hormones. Okay, so we're getting more of the dopamine and serotonin at levels that are going to help us sort of regulate in a more sort of optimal way, as well as reducing uh, fear and anxiety. And the fourth piece, and as a therapist, this is part that really, really fascinates me. It fosters cognitive restructuring by evoking positive thinking. Like, yeehaw, everybody, that is tasty, right? And I know we kind of got stuck in the weeds for a minute with some of the science behind it. But man, you could feed that to me all day long because it is delicious. But what that basically means, friends, is this. When we are practicing gratitude, we're putting our body 
and our mind in an optimal, optimal state to be able to experience the whole range of emotions, including happiness. But also we allow our thoughts to begin shaping our beliefs about ourselves and the world. Think about it. By practicing gratitude, it allows us to experience a fuller range of emotions and we start to be able to see more possibilities and opportunities in the world. The world itself has not changed, but our perception of it has. And that change of perception can change the way we think and feel and believe where and how we belong in this world. So as a therapist, I use a lot of interventions that utilize gratitude. Whether it's journaling about gratitude. Whether it's identifying positive aspects about oneself. I engage in a lot of that work. So now is the part where I introduce some conflict into your heart. I started by sharing, you know, the adage from my grandpa, Spencer, you know, that every day is a good day. And I love it. Embrace the optimism. Be grateful for what you have. Also, at extremes, though, optimism can become what's termed toxic positivity. And this can be really, really challenging to identify sometimes when we put a lot of focus and emphasis on being grateful and optimistic. But there are some important warning signs of toxic positivity. For example, if you experience guilt for feeling sad or angry, that sometimes means that you, you could be experiencing toxic positivity. We are kind of neglecting your own emotional experience. Another sign of toxic positivity is if you hide painful emotions. So if you don't allow yourself to feel or experience painful emotions. Another sign is if you tend to ignore your problems, right? Say, hey, I just want to be optimistic and positive, but if I were to face this problem, I would no longer be able to be positive. Sometimes, another form of toxic positivity, if people recite positive quotes about hard situations, for example, the notion of, I just need to stay positive. Next is going to be dismissing others' difficult feelings. So if someone shares something something that feels emotionally heavy and it makes you really uncomfortable so you kind of dismiss it, that can be toxic positivity. In essence, toxic positivity is just sort of the process in which we want to only focus on positive emotions and any sort of positive aspects of life. While simultaneously we start ignoring the painful or difficult experiences. And one of the sources I've learned about this idea comes from Brene Brown. She, she's gained a lot of popularity the last few years. She's a social worker, researcher, has oodles of self-help books and materials right now that resonates with a lot of people. And one of her discourses on empathy, she talks about the dangers of putting a silver lining in difficult experiences. And when I started thinking about that, resonate a lot of, okay, with my clinical work, yeah, when someone's experienced some adverse experiences, it doesn't make sense to like put a silver lining and say, oh, but aren't you grateful for all these things you've learned about yourself when maybe they've been you know, a victim of horrific things or they've grown up in really kind of abusive, adverse environments. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me or doesn't sit right to be like, oh, let's, let's look at this in a very positive way when sometimes the best thing we can do is to sit in the yuck of it. And what that really means is while it's important to be optimistic and to express gratitude, there's also times and situations where it's okay to say, this is hard. This isn't fair. I don't like this. And the challenge is, 
sometimes we feel pressure or there's an expectation to be positive and optimistic, and we kind of invalidate our own experiences by trying to put silver linings in things that don't need a silver lining. There's some experiences in life where it's okay that the crappy thing happened and to acknowledge that it was a crappy thing and to not pretend to be grateful for that crappy thing. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't learn and grow. Like, of course, there's post-traumatic growth or there's, you know, we can, character can be forged out of adversity. But being artificially positive doesn't help you get the growth. The growth comes from being able to sit, explore, digest, and process, and then intentionally explore who you are and the choices you want to make as a result of maybe some of the difficult circumstances you've been dealt So as I've tried to make sense for my own life, you know, the role of gratitude, optimism, but also being mindful of toxic positivity, I have found it helpful to kind of think of it on a continuum, right? Where on one extreme, we're only positive, where only positivity exists. We can't acknowledge the difficulty and the challenges and the unpleasantness that sometimes is life. Right, that on that end, there's significant limitations to our well being and our happiness. Because remember, from the first episode, when we understand happiness, the happiest people also allow themselves to feel sadness. Right? So, on this extreme, it's the person that ignores their own sadness and their own suffering, but they hide behind positivity and optimism. On the other extreme, you have deep pessimism where there is no looking for the glass half full. There is no desire or attempt to try to reframe your thoughts into viewing things as more positive. That also has significant implications for overall happiness and well-being. Right? So trying to avoid both extremes is really, really important in having a balanced relationship with ourself. And one tangential concept that I think is fascinating and kind of ties into this are the German words schadenfreude and freudenfreude. And schadenfreude is this idea that we derive joy from the suffering or mishaps of other. So when you break down the word, freude, from my understanding, means joy, delight, pleasure. And schaden is going to be misfortune, harm, distress, bad sort of things. And so when you put the word together, schadenfreude means when you delight in the misfortune or suffering of another person. And I like to contrast that with, you know, the definition we talked about earlier with gratitude, where one of the components of gratitude is the acknowledgement of goodness and also that goodness is separate from us or comes outside of us. So schadenfreude, we're delighting that bad things are happening to people. Whereas gratitude is we're acknowledging and accepting that goodness comes from others. But the term Freudenfreude is one of my favorite concepts. And that basically means to delight in the happiness of someone else or that good things have happened for someone else. And one of my favorite examples of Freudenfreude from a story from my life uh, has to deal with when I was sort of my last year in the Ph.D. program and uh, applying for academic jobs and just all the stress that entailed. And for context, I mean, to this point, I'm now nine years into my college education. I'm going to defend my dissertation in a few weeks, and you're starting to interview at jobs. 
and something interesting happened. At this exact same time, my best friend was also applying for jobs. Not just any jobs, but a lot of the same jobs I was applying for. And I remember thinking I could view my friend as the competition, as the enemy, hoping that bad things happen to him and I get some sort of advantage in these interviews. Or I can choose to practice Freud and Freuda and be really, really excited and grateful if and when positive things happen into his life. And I remember one specific job where he and I had both applied and we're both going to do the initial interview. And I decided that I was going to pray and fast for my friend. So those are some spiritual practices I engage in that help center myself. But I remember praying and fasting specifically for my friend that he would do really, really well in the interview. And that if it was the right place for him, that he would get the job. And at first, I was kind of scared to practice Freud and Freuda, to try to really like hope he does well and to be grateful if he does. Because, I mean, I also got to feed my family. I also need to have a place to land. I did all this work, and to if I don't get that job, does that mean I'm a fraud or a failure? If I come in second, does that mean that I'm not as capable or as good? And something magical happened. He did awesome. He got the job. He was the right fit. And when he told me, I remember feeling so much joy because it wasn't just his victory, but it felt like it was our victory. And that's one of the beautiful things about gratitude. Sometimes people forget gratitude isn't just being grateful for what you have, but it's also being grateful for the positive things that enter to the lives of other people. And in this case, I felt so much joy and happiness for him and his family. And it's been beautiful to see how things have unfolded for him. And knowing that other good things would happen into my life as well. So as we wrap up for today, a few things to remember and consider. Optimism and gratitude are incredible tools for both your physical and psychological and relational health. And I, I believe my grandpa Spencer is right that every day is a good day. But also, every day can be a good day to have a bad day if you need to. And that there's no need to engage in toxic positivity to put silver linings in things that really just don't need to be. So my overall hope today, folks, with this episode is that you will have a greater intent and desire to implement daily gratitude into your life while simultaneously embracing the fact that it's okay to have a bad day and that it's okay to be able to not have to spend everything positively and that don't invalidate your own experiences and that of others by trying to keep everything positive all the time. All right, so for this episode's application assignment, I'm going to introduce you to a task that I often have students or clients engage in as they want to practice more gratitude in their life. Okay, so I have them get out a piece of paper and identify their five senses and answer the question, how did I experience gratitude through sight, touch, taste, feeling, and smell? Right, your five senses. And so just kind of journal about, okay, uh, I'm grateful for what my eye saw today because X, Y, or Z. The next step is to identify, well, what emotions do you feel when you think about your experiences with that sense today? And then identify where in your body do you feel that sensation? So ultimately, 
You're expressing gratitude through the experiences you had with your senses that day. You're then linking it to emotions you have to those specific experiences and where you feel them in your body. And then the final step is to ask, are there any emotions that I'm ignoring today? Any sadness, loneliness, disappointment that I'm trying to hide, trying to bury, trying to ignore? And to identify, well, where do I feel that? What do I believe that means about me? And to begin to explore how do I appropriately express gratitude for those feelings and those difficult experiences without invalidating your experience by leaning into toxic positivity. So, all in all, friends, I appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. And stay classy and stay zesty. 